Well, hello there, listeners all across the virtual waves. It's me, Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and I am currently uh, inside a, a carpet-lined box, which is the new cave of literary fabulosity that we have here. Um, they made it special for me so I could feel warm and loved as I speak to our genius authors and illustrators. And today we do have a legitimate genius uh, on the phone with me today. And, and her name, buckle up kids, is Sarah Czar. I know! Gird up yourselves, gird up your shelves, because we're going to chat about, I think one of my most favorite books ever is Story of a Girl, which was published, I can't even believe this, 10 years ago. There were no lines on my face, and I was 40 pounds lighter, and I had a spring in my step. Story of a, a Girl begins with Deanna Lambert, caught in the back of a Buick with a boy she's not even sure she likes. But sadly, the guy catching her in the back of the Buick is her dad. Oh, Sarah, 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 how did you come up with that scene? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I also had no lines on my face, and fewer pounds on my body 10 years ago. So it's hard to think back to even five years before that when I was actually writing that book. I don't know. You know, the book start. I think this is true for a lot of writers, that the beginning is one of the last things to come together. So that book had a lot of other beginnings in other drafts. And it's a prologue. It's like a one-and-a-half-page prologue that you just described. And that just seemed like a thing that was helping me frame the story and, like, get the voice rolling. I don't remember, like, what the creative process in my brain was at that time because I don't remember what was happening in my brain yesterday. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, I think it was just, like, many revisions and trying to find something that would just, like, put you right down into the story without any kind of real on-ramp. Do you think this is the, the scene that told you what the book was? Um, that's a great question. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's possible. I mean, I probably didn't write that prologue until I had really worked with the voice for a long time. And then just that her, it's her telling her story. You know, that's why I came up with the clever title, <laughs> Story of a Girl, which for some reason I assumed all along would be changed because most things are changed in the process, and so it was always a surprise to me. I'm like, oh, they kept the title. But yeah, it's, it's Deanna's chance to tell her own story because this story has been told about her, and um, there's all these versions of it that are not really the reality of her experience. I think it's interesting you're talking about all the different versions of the story that are in the novel, and yet you went through many versions of the story in the writing of the novel. Do you see any correlation between those two things? No, because that's just writing a novel. Mm -hmm. That's every that's every novel. Uh, I never made a conscious connection about it anyway. That's pretty much every book I've ever written goes through many versions before <laughs> you find the one that feels true. I like that idea of the version that feels true. Do you think Deanna's version that she tells herself, do you, do you think she feels that version is true? I think she is speaking from 
how she experienced it, which is not necessarily always the same thing as the truth. But when it comes to personal, and it's a deeply personal experience, and obviously, like, her dad, for him, it was a deeply personal experience that he experienced in a completely different way. But it's Deanna's story, and I think she is honest about her experience of it. I loved this book from the beginning because I suppose, not to get too personal about my own life, because it's not exactly, there's not exactly parallels to this. I was never caught in the back of a Buick. Yes, it was a Chevelle. Um, there's there's something about the the intersection of sexuality, but not really sexuality, because I don't know how sexual Deanna was being in the back of that Buick. Um, but an intersection an intersection of sexuality and and power and and the beginning of articulateness of being able to articulate one's worldview that is at, at the heart of YA literature. And I'm wondering, I guess from the perspective of this novel being 10 years ago, how conscious of you of those things were you at the time, and have you become more conscious of them in that novel since its writing? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does, because I, I know when it came out, when it came out and now and in the 10 years between, you know, there's definitely an audience that holds it up as, I guess, a tale about double standards and how girls' sexuality is talked about and seen. Um, And I can see all of that in the book. But certainly, like, while I was writing it, it was down to the granular, like, personal experience of this character who was so real to me. And in terms of the sexuality of it, like, I, I think I was thinking more about well, like you were saying, like power is one thing and also um, being seen in a different way. You know, someone comes in to your life and you're like right at that hormonal shift between childhood and adulthood and someone comes along and sees you as someone or something that they want. And just that power of being wanted, whether or not you want it or you understand it or you know what the consequences are going to be, there's a, something compelling about being wanted, even if that's not something she could articulate. And especially given the context of going through a time where her family was focused on other things and she felt like she wasn't being seen by her parents and particularly her father. And it was just sort of a perfect storm for this Tommy Weber person to step into and see her in a different way than she's been seen you know, and use that for his own purposes, but it gives her something. Also, um, I don't see it as a story where she's just completely being taken advantage of in a victim-y way. I don't know. It's so complicated. When I remember that time of life, I was kind of a younger, um, because my because of the, where my birthday falls in the calendar year, I was always about a year younger than my classmates. Like, I started kindergarten at four, so I was like, 13 when I was a freshman in high school and I was kind of a young relatively innocent 13 and uh, you know there were girls I knew at school who were also freshmen who had like 20 year old like boyfriends who had graduated from high school and I was always just like huh like how how does that happen and what do their families think about that I don't know it's just there's so many factors and layers and physical and psychological and cultural 
and family and social ingredients that go into like this stew of being a 13 year old girl. I like that idea about the power of attractiveness and the hunger for attractiveness and, and what you can do with that. I think it, that sort of idea is still powerful. I think perhaps it's even more powerful now uh, that we have all of that social media, the many different social media environments that teen girls are using to see and be seen and, and to exert power that I wonder if, if you were writing Deanna today, would she be in the back of that Buick or would she be t trying to acquire that power or enjoy that power of attractiveness in another, in another way or in another setting? But I also am intrigued by, by Tommy and I know this is Deanna's story and the reader's supposed to bind with Deanna, but how much thought did you give to Tommy and what he wanted? Well, first of all, what you were saying earlier about how how this would look today, you know, how I would write this today. Um, that's such an interesting question I've never thought about, but it was a vastly different. I think what, I think my first draft of this book, no one even had cell phones mm -hmm. in the book. Um, and I remember someone reading it and being like, they should probably have phones just because if you don't mention something about phones, <laughs> people are going to be like, when is this set? But, um, but what's everything that's happened since 2007 would really, in a way it would change that, but, you know, I know we're going to talk about this a little later, but I just saw earlier this week for the first time a, a screening of the movie version of Story of a Girl, and they've updated that to be in the present, and and there is technology involved, and it's interesting how it still feels pretty much like the same story. The emotional journey is the same, I think, and the mitigating factors are the same, and it just feels like, yeah, this is that story, but it does bring in that aspect of the power, which I don't want to give anything away about the movie because there's a little twist that's different than what's in the book, but um, yeah, there's just a question of deciding that you're, you're taking an active role and you're deciding something about how you're presenting your sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of Tommy, I think the one thing I'm known for, which makes me happy, and I think this is true for most of my books, maybe not every single one, but I really rarely paint, like, quote-unquote, bad guys as, like, totally bad guys <laughs> because just my own interest in and curiosity about human nature and my own self-knowledge, I just feel like any one of us could be the bad guy in someone else's story. So, you know, Tommy, I'm sure, has a story where he is the protagonist and not the antagonist. But it's not Tommy's story. But I did think about just making sure he was human and dimensional. And I didn't want him to be a bad, a totally, like, bad guy. Because, again, I didn't want it to be about Deanna being a victim. Mm -hmm. It was really about her family relationships. It was not about someone being a victim of someone else's choices. And it was a lot about just the ways where we can be our own worst enemies. You know, so I didn't, I didn't want it to be, like, a kind of story where you could pin everything on Tommy. And some of my favorite parts of the book actually are, are those interactions where he's just like, I don't know what to tell you. I was like, you know, a 17 year old boy or whatever. Um, and just trying to reconcile that incident in a way where they could share in the responsibility and like kind of move past it, each of them in their own way. And also I think you need to, when you have a character that, has had that kind of a role in someone's life, 
you need to try at least to show what was appealing about them, you know, so that you can see why it happened. I like that. I mean, I'd always thought about the two of them in the back of that Buick and, and I could see through the, how the story unfolded, Deanna's hunger for power and uh, assertion of herself as, as somebody who's of worth notice, worthy of notice and how she constructed herself from the attention of others. Um, I think we all do that in some ways, and then we figure out how to do that internally. But for me, Tom, it was always interesting because I thought of Tommy and his own hunger for for power and attractiveness, and that that was just two different vectors meeting in the back of that Buick in an interesting way, and thinking about a different novel where his his side was presented, not as a sl- sort of sliding door sort of thing, but to think about him and as, as an actor there that was perhaps a bit out of control himself. Mm-hmm. That was intriguing to me. And I suppose this novel is a classic for me, a classic novel for me because thinking about Deanna and her parents, not simply because her parents are in crisis, but how they express their anxieties, you've captured something very, for lack of a better term, meaty. I don't know why that word keeps popping up today. I, I had lunch, I promise, and it was a good one. Um, but there's something about how the, the wish for parental control, or the assumed parental control, the assumptions of parental control are challenged. And that really is a lot about what YA literature is about. You know, teens taking control of their own world and remaking the world in their image. And here's Deanna's father is running up against that very blatantly in his face of his he sees his child out of control did you think about the parental reaction yes I, I thought a lot about the parents story of a girl as you know or may may remember was the fourth book that I wrote but it was the first one that was published and a recurring issue I had in those previous books and in the early drafts of story of a girl was that the the, the main characters were a little too passive in the book's were a lot about the parents because I'm just so interested in this parent-child relationship, particularly father-daughter relationships. And so I think the fact that early drafts of the book focused a lot on the father meant that by the time I got the version of the story that the final book ended up being, I really kind of knew the dad and the dynamic with the father-daughter relationship and with the role that the mom played in just trying to be a peacemaker between them, but not really helping affect any kind of change. And I just, I, I, thought, I thought a lot about, you know, what that experience was for him. That was it, was it really that he was like so deeply hurt and betrayed or was it more that he was embarrassed because he saw it and then it was a big story at the school and kind of a story around town was he really just like being this really protective father or was it like you said, just trying to exert control and not look like he had failed somehow as a father, especially since already Deanna's older brother, his son was living in the basement with his girlfriend and their baby. So there's just like all this maybe evidence that, Oh, as a father, you're not doing an awesome job. And so was his anger toward her really about like, feeling protective and that she grew up too fast or anything, or is it more like forcing him to confront something about himself 
and his perception of himself. And like you said, just feeling completely out of control because, you know, by the time we get to know him in the book, we know that his backstory is he was laid off in an economic downturn and he hasn't been able to find a really good job since then. He just kind of works at an auto parts store and he's angry and depressed about that. And so when his kids kind of screw up in his way of seeing it, Mm-hmm. It's just another thing reflected to him that he doesn't want to see, and that he lets that come between his fundamental love for his daughter until he can kind of break through and and they can find some reconciliation. I'm glad you brought up the whole issue with the father's job because, and maybe this is a misreading of your work as a whole, one of the aspects I've liked about your work is the very subtle presentation of class issues and and there's an almost physical anxiety about acceptance or anxiety about acceptability uh, in your work in the various stories I'm also thinking about sweethearts a little bit here in the background but um, that there is a wish to inhabit properly uh, certain well-defined social roles and when that's not able to be done, that's sort of where the story kicks off almost. Do you think that's a fair understanding? Yeah, I, I think probably in terms of my process of writing, that stuff is more on the subconscious level. Like, I'm not thinking, like, here's what I think about class, and this is, this is mm-hmm. the kind of anxieties these people will be feeling. I think it just comes from experience and observation, and it's just kind of there in me, and it comes out in the stories, but I don't think I think super consciously about it. But that's definitely one of the things that has always been important to me about this book and, you know, Sweethearts in a different way Mm -hmm. and just various characters I've written over the years is just thinking, not coming to it with an assumption of this character has financial security, but but, but without that necessarily being the story. Yeah. But just trying to to not come to it with this assumption of stability or, like, everyone owns a house, everyone has a smartphone, everyone has access to a car, all that kind of stuff that that can tend to be a given in a lot of material that's put out for young and old readers alike. And just sort of making sure I'm not taking anything as a given because these things are not a given in every person's life. Mm -hmm. The best way I can describe it is it's like an... This is going to sound weird, but it's the best way I can describe it. There, there's sometimes when you when you're eating something, there's the primary taste, and then the back of your throat as it hits the back of your tongue, there's a secondary taste. And this sort of anxiety is almost like that secondary, that taste in the back of your mouth of just there's mm-hmm. that element of unspoken anxiety about one's social place, however that's manifested whether that's clothes or technical technology, you know, phones, et cetera, or nuclear, presence of a nuclear family or proper sexual presentation, that sort of thing. And, and, the not, and it not being given is... Right. Um, and, I mean, even the way that people respond to, like the other kids at school, just the way they respond to this story about Deanna has a lot to do with what class her family is in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know this was the first book you had published, but you'd been writing quite a bit before that. So I can't ask you like the standard question of, well, can you reflect back on this 
book is the first thing you've done because you were really it's only sort of a, a from a certain perspective that this is the first book you did but this you know it was a prominent book a national book award finalist and it had many state awards and it allowed you to do its success allowed you to do a number of other things now that it's 10 years have you thought any and it's maybe you haven't but have you thought anything about this story or this experience from that perspective of 10 years what i think about it the most is how fortunate i was to have had that book received the way it was i mean you know you've been in this business a long time that a lot of worthy books don't get that and there's just sometimes can be a set of circumstances and a set of people and a set of eyes seeing your book at a certain moment that just comes together in a way that is favorable <laughs> for the author and I'm still really aware of how how fortunate that has been for me and that it created a window of opportunity for me that people will want to for until I like just grew up numerous times over and over. <laughs> People are open and interested in hearing what I have to say and reading what I write and publishing me and having me teach or talk or do whatever. Um, and so mostly what I feel about it is just I'm really grateful that that happened to be my first book at the time that it was. I'm grateful that it was 2007 because, as you will recall, there were a lot fewer books on the marketplace back then mm -hmm. um, and I think that made it cleared more of a path for it to be to be received the way it was I'm fortunate that I wasn't published before I was ready I, I think it's possible that if I were trying to publish today or maybe more likely like four years ago maybe those first three books that I wrote would have gotten published but I really wasn't ready and they weren't ready so I just feel like I'm just grateful for how it all worked out and that that book has created a path for me that I've been able to be on for 10 years, and I know how lucky that is. Do you feel a sense of ownership of the story? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. It's such a weird thing when writing a book is like one thing, and then having a book published is another thing, and then having a book out for a long time is something else. And I, I guess yes and no. Like I, I feel like Deanna just exists, and... I told part of her story, but she doesn't belong to me. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird sensation. I don't feel that way about all my books necessarily, but definitely Deanna was a character that I felt like I could run into her on the street now and she'd be like twenty five or twenty six or whatever and she'd just we could talk and she'd be like, Yeah, I went to community college and now I'm doing this and she's just real to me so I guess I don't feel ownership that much because I, I feel like she just is an entity that existed and came into my life and I told part of her story and then she left my life. Part of why I asked this is you've just seen the movie yeah. and that's a new, that's an all I shouldn't say all new but that was a different interpretation of the story. Was that weird seeing your vision translated onto the screen however it was adapted but then thinking about your answer non-ownership of Deanna's story maybe that was maybe that wasn't very impactful to you it was very impactful <laughs> fortunately for me because I know this isn't always the case for writers who get their books adapted from the beginning um, I trusted Emily Lansbury and Kira Sedgwick who optioned it like 10 years ago and 
project has been in the works since then. From the beginning and my first conversation with them about the book, I trusted that they understood the book. And so I wasn't too worried about it. And seeing the final movie was just like, yeah, like this feels like that story. There are some different story beats. There's some updates to it. There's some stuff that has to get cut out because you only have 90 minutes or whatever. But this feels faithful to the core things about the book and the core things about Deanna. And I felt... When I saw my name in the credits and just the opening credits, that was my, like, main swell of emotion. Mm -hmm. It was just like, I can't believe this actually finally happened, and there I am. But then once I started watching it, I just, I really just felt like I was watching this character, this person that I knew. And the script uses a lot of my dialogue. It's mostly my dialogue from the book with some additions from the screenwriters that, that sort of punch up different things. But, um... You know, hearing my words, hearing people say my words, that was just cool. Like, I, I guess I felt ownership in that sense, like the ownership, the pride of it, mm-hmm. of like, I'm proud of this story, and I'm I'm thankful that it didn't get turned into flowers in the attic, or I don't know. Or um, Mother May I Sleep with Danger, or something <laughs> like that, although that is a classic. Um, yeah, I mean, those are great movies, obviously. You know, going back to the class issue, one thing that made me really happy when I saw the movie was how the production designer that worked on the movie, she, she read the book and the whole look of it and the sense of their economics and their class is so right, you know, from like the wardrobe to the cars, to the house and the way just everything looks. It just like, that's the kind of the little things that made me feel like, Oh good. But if they, maybe they worked that way, I would feel like my ownership had been violated or something. Mm-hmm. But honestly, when you when you option a book, you know, when you or when, when you let a book be optioned for potential adaptation, you let go then, you know, because mm-hmm. a movie is a different thing than a book that so has different needs, it has different parameters, and you just sort of let go and recognize it's not literally going to be the book, but it's hopefully going to be this story in a way that's familiar to readers. And because the option was in process for so long and, and they've been trying to do this for 10 years, I did that letting go work like a long time ago. I think if it had happened right away, you know, if it had been optioned in 2007 and like filmed later that year and come out in 2008, it might be different. It might be harder to let go. I might, you know, have more intense feelings about it. But it's just been really nice. It just feels like an extra kind of bonus thing that's happened and and I'm proud also to be a part of Kira Sedgwick making her directorial debut and her choosing this story with which to make that debut and like what a great job she did and just how many women worked on the film and the amazing work they did with a small budget I feel an ownership uh, as being as part of that whole thing where this is story you know it's a it's a female story and it was a female driven production and it's about a girl, and it's written by a woman, and it's directed by a woman, and the screenplay writers were women, and the production designer, you know, all of that stuff. Just, I feel proud to to be a part of that whole thing. I don't want to get super political, because I'll just get ranty, uh, and that's what Twitter is for. But I love that the movie version of the book is coming out now, and giving people another... A new opportunity, because that is the part of why literature is, it is a new audience every couple years to see the story and hopefully to read the book and to read your words about a young woman 
who really just wanted to assert her worth and her power. And, and in a time when that seems to be a very live discussion, I think this book is coming back again into prominence at a, at a needed time. Did that make sense? Yes, and I don't disagree, and I have nothing to add, probably. <laughs> Because that's what Twitter is for. Because that is what Twitter Twitter is for. And no, gentle listeners, you may not know what my super secret Twitter handle is for when I really tell the truth. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for spending some time with me here in the uh, carpeted box cave of literary fabulosity. Story of a Girl is on shelves at bookstores and libraries now, as are several of Sarah's other works, including Sweethearts and Once Was Lost, Uh, And a book called uh, Gem and Dixie, uh, which, as we say in the business, is from another house. But we hope you'll read that one, too. This has been Victoria Stapleton for the Little Brown School and Library podcast with Sarah Zarr. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much, Victoria. It was so great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon. Friends through the virtual whips. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) 